recording. Now you heard the words. All right. So uh, we're on the last verse of chapter three in James chapter three. Uh, we've been dealing with a list of the differences between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And we came through a, a look of the, the various processes and the, 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 the type of fruit that comes as a result of, of uh, having godly wisdom in our life. And isn't it interesting that the, the writer here through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uses the term fruit. And in verse 18, which we're going to be dealing with today, it talks about harvesting that fruit. Do you know that that, that means that the various things that we're looking at, which is being pure, we talk about being holy, being peace-loving, being considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. All of those, if, if it's truly fruit, you know what that means? What is what's one of the unique things about fruit in general? It bears within itself the ability to reproduce more of that fruit. It comes with seeds usually. Yep. Most often on the uh, on the inside, occasionally like a strawberry on the outside. Hmm. But think about it: fruit produces seeds, which helps it produce more. Good. I think that's good. Go ahead, George. No, that's good. That's good. I just think that that's, it gives us a sense of, huh, it's not only just an end result, but it's supposed to bring more, not more within our lives, but also more spreading that seed around to others, hopefully. And um, so we have here uh, this idea that when we do this, that when we're consistent in this, that the harvest that we come is, is righteousness. And the harvest of righteousness is, in fact, wisdom. So it's kind of a circular thing going on here. Um, you know, there's a there's a big difference between man-made results and uh, spiritual fruit. Big time difference between the two. And so, you know, in order for us to have seeds that produce more fruit, we have to do something with the seeds, which is what? Plant it. Plant it. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So Water. not only are we supposed to have seeds of, of righteousness coming through this, but then we're supposed to do something with that seed to bring about more harvest, to bring about more fruit, to bring ultimately, hopefully, more people into the kingdom. Wouldn't that be awesome? So what we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow, and what we sow determines what we reap. And if we live in God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace and we reap God's blessing. But if we live in worldly wisdom, we're going to sow war and, and sin and we're going to reap confusion and every good work, every good work. Why do I keep saying that? I said that last week or two weeks ago. It's every evil work. Excuse me. Proverbs 6 talks about the fact that we that one of the sins that God hates is sowing discord among the brethren. How often does that happen? And usually for what we think are at times either, well, sometimes it's selfish reasons. Sometimes we fool ourselves and we think it's a righteous reason that we're doing this. And in truth, it's really political and, and ultimately, uh, ultimately selfish on our part. Um, 
Proverbs 3.13 says, happy is the man that finds wisdom, the man that gets understanding. And we're talking here about godly wisdom. So, all right. So peace is the point of the, of, of the concluding, if you will, parable of what we're talking about here. Wisdom is the gift that's from God. We found out of that all the way back in, in chapter one, verse five. And it's needed, that wisdom, godly wisdom is needed for us to achieve maturity. And maturity is connected to righteousness. It's almost like, you know, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone, the knee bone's connected to the, you know, uh, it, it's all connected. It's all interconnected. And, and so the result is that when we have righteousness, God, tell, James tells us, and God does through the, through the author James, that we harvest, we can harvest peace and righteousness. This peace is the idea that gathers together a number of uh, of ideas that come together in this passage. Here's the problem, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, about the concept of peace. What does man think of peace? What do you think of when you think of when man says, hey, we, we're going to have a peace accord? What, is, what does that mean? In we, all get, we all get along or agree to the same thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. What else? Yeah, that's good. No war. No war, okay. It seems to be that peace is the, the cessation of trouble. Would that be one of the ways of, of looking at peace, at least from a, a humanistic standpoint? What is God's peace like? What does the word shalom mean? It means peace. Okay, it means peace. <laughs> Okay, good. What does that what does that entail as far as God's concerned? Peace of the Lord. Peace of the Lord. Okay, that's good. What what, what else? It, it, it's very rich. The meaning. We, we talked about it a little bit. I want to talk a little more. It means wholeness. Uh, yeah. It means health. It, it means com being complete. It's very different. In fact, the, the same Greek word, the Greek word that's used here is the word that we get harmony from. It's the opposite of discord. If, you, if you've ever heard anybody sing in discord, oh, my kids and, I, and my wife and I, we used to travel in the car and every once in a while we'd break into a song and we would on purpose try to not harmonize with each other. Mm. It was the, the most awful sounds that would come out as a result of that. We'd be in the wrong keys on purpose, and and it would just be so discordant and so it just hurt your ears, you know. And we'd laugh about it, and then eventually we'd go back to a harmony that everyone would, would be in agreement with. But that was that, that's kind of what happens when we're not at peace. There is discord among the body. When we're at peace, there's harmony. Does that mean that every note is the same? Is it is harmony the same as unison? No, no. Okay, I'm glad so you. I was starting to wonder if any of you were listening because I'm getting no response at all. No. Okay. Does, yeah. uh, isn't peace really a, a an agreement of compromise? Well, at times, yeah. I mean, not, so the peace of God isn't really the peace that we have. Well, the peace of God is the so. peace that we're supposed to have. Well, completeness, and I don't know how that works. Being complete in him. Yeah, in him. Everything yeah. we need. 
which is a hard thing for me to do because I, I, I'm always thinking, you know, if I could just right, add right, this, right. you know, hey, then yeah. my life would be perfect. Well, if he would listen to you, right? Yeah, it'd be perfect. Oh, well, sure. If you guys would listen to me, that'd be great. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> you already know that's not going to happen. <laughs> okay, so here, here's some ideas. Um, we tend to think of, of peace being the opposite of warfare. Conflict, if you will. The cessation of conflict means that we have peace. Well, peace in the Hebrew is much broader. In fact, even in, in uh, Arabic, it's uh, salam, which is sal we, we talk about shalom is the Greek, is the, is the Hebrew word. Salam is, the, is the, uh, the word, and I'm probably killing it, but that's the Arabic word. And so when they say salam alekum, we're talking about peace be with you. That's a, 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 a greeting. It's both a, a blessing and a greeting. May, may you be well. Is another way of saying it. In the Old Testament, here's the here's the thought, and we're going to look at a couple of verses. Maybe uh, anybody want to look up some verses for me today? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay, we got a couple. So, uh, someone look up uh, uh, Psalm seventy three verse three, and someone else look up Psalm thirty eight verse three, and then uh, Isaiah forty three verse seven. If someone wants to do that. We got some more, but I want, we'll start with those. Anyone? Anyone got the Psalm seventy-three-three? Ryan, you got to go ahead and read it for me. Okay, I've got it. Seventy-three-three, right? Yes, sir. Hopefully, yeah. I got my notes right. Yeah, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Yes. So shalom or salam. Is it means prosperity. God will give us prosperity. That's part of his plan for us. That's what he told the Israelites when they came into the land. They would be prosperous. It was a man, a land of what? Milk nope. and honey, which is the idea of a land of plenty or prosperity. Look, look at, uh, at uh, Psalm 38, verse 3. Someone got that? 38, verse 3. Yeah, I've got it. Okay. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Okay. So we're in a good relationship with God. One of the things that he says will happen is that this shalom, full shalom, would mean also physical health. Uh, there's a several passages. I think I think it was thinking it was chapter 36 of Psalm, Psalm 36, similar, it talks about when I was, when I was at, at ill at ease with God, when I was in sin, that my, my body ached, it groaned over the fact, it, it, sin can affect us physically, it can affect us mentally as well, uh, look at, uh, someone have Isaiah 43 verse 7, and then someone also look up Genesis 15, 15, and maybe Numbers 25, 12. You say Isaiah 43, 7? Yes, please. I got that. Okay. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. We're talking about here ultimately of salvation. So the idea here is, again, 
shalom brings salvation is part of the uh, it, it is the salvation experience comes from having shalom when we have salvation we get shalom what, what are some of the, the fruits of the spirit love joy what was that third one peace. love joy peace 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 yeah we have salvation as a result we get peace that's just the shalom we're talking about here uh, there's also um Genesis 15, 15. Someone have that? Yeah. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Okay, who is he talking to? Abraham. What's he saying? That even we tend to think of death as being a, a negative. Here it's a positive. You will have shalom in the midst of your death. Have you ever wondered why some of the martyrs were so at peace when they died? Think about the first martyr, Stephen. Was he upset over his death? He might have hurt. I mean, if I'm getting stoned, that hurts. Mm -hmm. But he looks up and he sees the glory of God and he's going to be with God. He has, he has, he has a possibility there. It says you, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. There's another passage out of um, uh, Numbers twenty-five twelve. Someone have that? Numbers twenty-five twelve. Yeah, I have it. Therefore, sure. tell it my making my covenant of peace with him. Yeah, the Lord says to Moses, "I am making my covenant of peace." Peace comes as part of the covenant promise. Both old covenant and the new covenant. New. Absolutely. True wholeness, true peace is intimately linked with the character of God. Um, the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 14, someone wanna, if someone wants to look there. Psalm 34, 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Yeah. So the idea of peace is involved here. It's turning from evil and doing good. What, what's another way of saying that? Justice and righteousness. Peace is linked with two concepts in this world, justice and righteousness. I'm going to jump around a bit. I'll read this one in Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses uh, 16, 17, and we'll jump over to 18 just a little bit. To speak truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor. And do not love to swear falsely. I hate this, declares the Lord. Therefore, love truth and peace. We're told to be a peacemaker. We're told that this is one of the, uh, the, the things that Jesus talks about. To, uh, talks about a, a state or an attitude, which is, a is more than that. It's, it's a concrete act. Peace, then, is the creation and maintenance of the state of truth, honesty, justice, and righteousness. 
almost like the old saying, you know, remember uh, the Superman, for those of us who, were, who saw Superman in the 50s, you know, uh, truth, justice, or truth, justice in the American justice way. Yeah. I'm not sure the American way is truly always at peace or justice, but <laughs> the idea is there, is there. We were founded on that kind of possible, that kind of, those kinds of principles. But the idea is peace then is the creation and maintain, maintenance of a state of truth, honesty, righteousness, and justice. And if we could do that, oh my goodness, what would our, what would we look like? What would our, what would our churches look like? What would we look like individually? What would our country look like? Justice and righteousness and peace are central characteristics of God. It would be so great if our churches would recapture the biblical idea of peace. In practice, we often confuse, I think, the biblical idea of peace with the impoverished modern concept, the absence of obvious tension. That's what peace is. You think that that's the way it's supposed to be? We do this in part because I think we think that it's in the short run, we want to, we want to avoid disagreements and the tension that it brings. Is that truly the way we should achieve peace? By ignoring the problems? No, no. Oh. Well, that's good to know. Are you, uh, <laughs> sorry, are you Go suggesting that we tie uh, peace and justice together? Peace is of both justice and righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> now that, that creates you know, some questions on how do we achieve that? And there are differing opinions on that. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to go down that road too far because we might come to disagreements as we, as we figure that out, but the tension that it causes ought to be good because what it means is that we're going to be iron sharpening iron and doing what? Coming to an agreement. Yeah. Which brings about peace. So tension is not necessarily bad. Tension is what causes us to try to work through the tension and hopefully come up with something that's better. Do you think the agreement, though, is about we should agree who is God or what is God? I think that's basically, I think about myself sometimes, I wonder if some of the places I've gone that when you, when you walked into the room, did you bring a sense of peace into the situation? Hmm. You know, well, in the, in the process of peace, isn't there going to be tension though at times in order to, to achieve peace? Won't it be at times be uncomfortable? Yeah, I'm sure it will because we have to come. I think we can, all of us have a limited understanding. I, I, I've come to realize more that there's nothing wrong with knowledge, but it's what wisdom you use to apply the knowledge. Yeah. Is it yeah. heavenly wisdom or is it earthly wisdom? You know, God says, you know, God says, you can be wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. That's knowledge. You gain that. But what are you supposed to do with it? Be a giver of what you have, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. goes against the other side that says, no, just keep storing it up like in the barns. Build bigger barns, man. Build bigger <laughs> barns. That's all it's all about. It's 
yeah. it's all about who who dies with the most toys, right? Right. Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to have the most toys. I've kind of sure. come to that conclusion eventually. Our typical course of action is to succumb to the temptation of the path that 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 in prospect seems to afford the least resistance and the smallest chance of personal harm. I don't want to go out on a limb. I'm afraid if I do, I'm going to cut it off opposite of where it needs to be cut off. I'm going to cut myself off and I'm going to fall with the branch that I cut off. I think the evangelical church is not immune to this malady, if you will. In fact, I think it's surprising how frequently our contemporary evangelical churches have blindly chosen the non-biblical idea of peace versus the biblical idea of peace. I think we routinely pursue the absence or the denial of tension within the body over peace as the wholeness within the body. It's, it's like when the body comes together. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you had two left feet, you wouldn't be able to dance? But so often we don't like the fact that we have a left foot and a right foot. We ask God to bring us a right foot because we don't have one. We don't want the body complete. So God bring us all the pieces and we get something that, that looks different than what we're used to. And we go, I don't want that. D don't give me a right foot. I need two left feet. And then, then I can't dance with God. The body is important, but every part of the body is important. You know, just not just the head, not just the eyes, not just the hands, not just the feet. But how about all the internal organs? If you don't have those working rightly, you, you have all kinds of problems, you know. It, the whole body's got to be there. It need, we need it all. I think that our problem is that we sometimes get upset over things in the church. Now, here's the problem. I, I've got a whole bunch of cases, and I'm not going to go into the cases. I um, Well, I, I'll give you one. I was thinking about recently. There's a big church down in South Carolina that, that uh, I was reading about recently. The The pastor founded the church. Um, he's charismatic in the sense that he's very likable and he's, you know, people are drawn to him as a personality. And uh, the church, the elders started to think that he was doing things, he was doing things that were against the bylaws. So they asked, they, they confronted him and he agreed to resign. Now he resigned. And the result was that the congregation was so upset that they demanded he come back. And uh, the result was all of the elders resigned. <laughs> and then he came back, the pastor, and they changed all the locks. And now there's a big fight over who's going to have what, who gets the, who has the building, who doesn't. And they're going, well, he, he did the pastor wasn't brought back by the bylaws. They threw the bylaws out to bring him back. And so now there's a big fight over and it's probably going to end up in court unless they go to mediation. But there, there's a, there's a lot of tension there. there there's a lot of tension because the, the pastor wants to be more or less for all intents and purposes of kind of a dictator and be able to do what he wants. 
to the result of the fact that the elders are trying to hold him to accountable. It sounds a lot like what happened at Mars Hill out in Seattle. We had uh, a pastor out there who um, was becoming very dictatorial, had, was just treating people inappropriately, uh, abusing them spiritually as well as emotionally, if you will. Uh, it was kicked out. The church dissolves and falls apart. Instead of having one church with many different locations, they have multiple churches now that are not related to each other. This guy goes down to, Arizona, I think it was Arizona, and starts another church. And guess what he does? He writes the bylaws in such a way that he's now, there's no one that, that is over him. There's no one that, that oversees him. There's no one that could say you're wrong. You're not doing it right. The, the result is that so often we get upset about this. this is, there, there are cases and cases. So what do you do? In the midst of this one, we had a situation years ago. Uh, I had only been in the, in, on staff for three months, and we lost our senior pastor to what apparently had been an ongoing, some ongoing problems of sin. So we, we let the, the, the senior pastor was, was let go. And um, uh, the problem was that we had elders that were trying to um, sweep everything under the carpet to the point of not allowing any sun in, which, you know, sun is a light is a cleansing uh, thing that happens with us. It also gives us clarity. Uh, but there is a sense, here's the balance, here's the trouble. What's more important, the unity of the church to keep, in order to keep the peace of the church, or is it the protection of the privacy of the individual, whether it's the pastor or the member of the congregation? Sometimes it's a balancing act. And sometimes one's going to be right and one's going to be wrong. I've known pastors that have been castigated for what they've, you know, for, for taking action against a, a person in the pew that was in sin, but was trying to keep it private. Because if they didn't, they were going to absolutely destroy them and maybe destroy a lot of the work of the church. But the church people kept pushing the envelope, wanting to know more and more. Mm. And the result was that if the pastor told them, it was going to destroy more people than it was going to help. So sometimes there's a, on the other time, other times, if the people need to know that there's something, there was some kind of sin that caused this happen to happen. So you need to be assured that the pastors or the elders, the leaders of the church are doing things correctly. But it's a balancing act sometimes. And frankly, sometimes we just get it wrong. The idea is we're supposed to protect the, the unity of the church, but we need to do so in a way that's truthful and honest. And so that when we report things, we do it in love. And we do it in a way that, that causes the least amount of harm. It's, you know, I used to say, it's okay to, uh, you, nobody wants to share their, their, their undergarments in public, except for when it's absolutely necessary, you, you share the undergarments with whoever has to know about it. Sometimes the whole church doesn't need to know. They need to know there was a sin, it was a sexual sin, or it was a, a monetary sin, or it was uh, something you know, that was that cause, but you don't need to go into a lot of detail because not only are you harming that person, but you could be harming the family. Think about the family of the, of the pastor that is, falls into 
you know, financial and maybe immoral sin of maybe of a sexual nature. And if you air all of that dirty laundry in the public, you're not only destroying him, but you're also destroying his family. You need to you need to have some concern about. It. So it's a balancing act that we we deal with, and that's to me one of the biggest problems we have is how do we deal with the concept of needing to know and still keeping the peace that God wants us to keep in the church. It's a tough act. Um, I, I recently had a, well, I say recently, it was, it was a while ago. I uh, was teaching at uh, Grace um, back in the day. And uh, we talked about what are their impressions of, what, what are the students' impressions of leaders, of relationships in the church? What about this Christian community? I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this this part right here. We'll get through this, and then we'll we'll go on to four next next week. Here's some of the things that they came up with their list. People put up a facade. This is their impression of relationships in the church. Relationships are basically superficial. Most of the time, people are not sincere. But there are plenty of people who are caring. It often feels artificial. People are really nice as in appearance of peace. People are usually considerate. Again, we're seeing different sides of this. When people are friendly, it's usually with other Christians and not usually extended to those who are outside the church. Remember with Jesus' friends of what? Sinners. Oh, I thought it was the religious people. No. <laughs> And then he gets castigated for being friends with sinners. Hmm. Okay. Just saying it's kind of interesting. People are too busy. Well, yeah, that's true. The church is not egalitarian, but highly structured. Maybe. Depends. The church is a hierarchical with clear unspoken rules of power. Pastor, deacons, longtime members, and wealthy members have the power. People want to avoid conflict. So we asked them also why they think this is so and to give uh, the biblical model of a Christian co community. They, they said, we have other priorities. Uh, money, appearance, recognition. That's what we're looking for. We're dishonest with ourselves about, about these things and, our, and what our true priorities are. We feel persecution. We fear persecution of the church by the world. We fear persecution. We're afraid of the consequences of truth, and we often avoid telling someone else the truth. We tell ourselves this is because we wish to protect their feelings, but we know that the real reason is we don't want to have to deal with the potential unpleasantness of the situation. Remember what Proverbs says? Tom, you're reading Proverbs. It talks about the, the wounds of a faithful friend. Yeah. Talk about how good that is. Why? Because that person loves you. He wants to speak truth. He doesn't want to hurt you, but he wants to speak truth in your life. So it goes back to what Ephesians talks about, speaking the truth in love. We're afraid to, of facing the fact that we cannot live up to the biblical standards. Well, why aren't we living up to the biblical standards? Well, I don't know, maybe because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to control us. And I have to throw myself in, on the top of that heap. Maybe I'm on the bottom of the heap. Maybe you all are piling on me. I, I, 
I feel that almost on a daily basis. Well, maybe actually not almost on a daily basis. How about every day? And usually almost always hourly. We realize that we cannot make a difference in this world, even in our church. So why try? It's like saying, well, why send a missionary to a country that isn't going to be able to, you're not going to be able to accomplish much. Well, maybe because God tells us to go into all the world. Maybe we're just simply being obedient to God. Is it important for us? Let me ask. Is it important for us that we get the results that man wants or the results that God wants? And is there a difference? Is there a difference? Yeah. We once supported a, a, a missionary who told us that it would take 10 years before he hoped to have one convert. He was a missionary we sent to Egypt. And then there was a change in our church. And some of the leadership were going, do we continue to support this guy? He's got nothing to show for his time there. He's got everything to show for his time there. He went there knowing it was not going to be a quote-unquote, what we think of as fruitful. But if one person gets saved, wasn't, wasn't it worth it? Judson, who was a missionary in the 1800s, I think it was 1800s, uh, Baptist missionary, goes to um, Burma, spends his entire life there, can count on one hand the number of converts that he has. Do you think his church was upset with him? The sending churches, because he didn't show, have much to show for it. Yeah, they weren't real happy with him. But what was he doing? Being obedient to what God called him to do. God's definition of success and ours is rarely the same. What's God's definition of success? Obedience. Obedience. What's man's definition of success? Money. Power, converts, people in the pews, money in the offering plate, bigger buildings. What's what's God's again? What's God's definition of success? <laughs> I just told you. Obedience to His will. Obedience to His will. Well, right. Does that mean that his his definition of success is different than ours? Probably nine yeah. times out of ten. <laughs> I, I still think that some of the greatest people that will get the greatest rewards we get to heaven are pastors who are pastored small churches. Because they were obedient to what God said to do. Go pastor. Go be a witness. Go be a light in that community. I'll take care of the increase. You just be faithful in doing what you're, you're called to do. All right. Have I beat us up enough? That's good. All right. Let's just see. If we get okay. Here's the problem. Here's here's the problem, and I want to close with this. We got I got just a couple of minutes. It's four points. Okay. Here's the problem we deal with. This is one of the stickiest problems we have is trying to be a balancing being a peacemaker and sticking to our principles. So I have four thoughts. Okay. One is devotion to the spiritual life so that the word may be planted in you and you continue to grow. 
So devotion to our spiritual life, that's important. We try to be a peacemaker and try to stick to principles that God gives us. Number two, care for the poor, marginalized, um, not only of their dignity, but also their, of their material circumstances. Are we taking care? Are we doing what God tells us to do? What, what uh, Tim Keller said in his book, he called it generous justice. Are we doing that? Number three, do we have a willingness to frequently take stock of ourselves to ensure that the virtues and not the vices are the things that are growing strong in us? And then fourth, willing a willingness to know the truth of the gospel and to stand for it when it is threatened. And that, my friends, is the key, I think, is a willingness to stand for the truth of the gospel and to know the difference between true gospel and not true gospel. Remember what Galatians says? If someone brings you another gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it's an angel, don't, don't accept it. What, don't what, it. Say it, George. No, that's right. I'm just, you, I'm just thinking, yeah, don't accept it. Don't believe it. Yeah. Don't believe it. Don't accept it. It doesn't matter who brings it to you. If it goes against God's word. So what's important for us is we need to know God's word. Yep. We need to apply it to our lives. And we need to allow it to percolate and to develop character in us. And that means that we're going to be caring for things that God cares for. And we're doing things that God approves of. And if we just do that, my life would be so much simpler for me if I could just learn to do that. I hope that's going to be true for your situation as well. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stop there. I won't go any further. But it, it, it's been a... It's been a I love James, but you can tell right now I hate it because it, it steps all over my toes. And I realize how far I am from being what God wants me to be. Don't be discouraged. Stay true to it. Keep planting God's word in your life and allow the fruit to grow. All right, guys. God bless. I'm going to turn off the recording.